Spotlights is a series of online events and publications focusing on a particular group of victim survivors who are often hidden from services. As part of Safe Life Spotlight on domestic abuse and young people, this week my colleague Emma has come to the University of Manchester to speak to Dr Caroline Miles, a lecturer in criminology and joint programme director for the criminology degree in the School of Law. Caroline talks about her joint research with Dr Rachel Condry that looks at adolescent parent violence from the perspective of the young person. We hope you find it both interesting and informative. Today I've come to Manchester to speak to Dr Caroline Miles about adolescent parent violence and how it affects the young people causing harm. Hi Caroline, thank you for joining me today to create this podcast. Hi Emma, thank you very much for having me. I'm very, really pleased that this issue is being included in one of your spotlights on young people and domestic abuse. There's been such a lot of hard work um, in trying to raise the profile of adolescent parent violence so it's really good to see that it's being recognised and talked about. Earlier on in our spotlight, we've had the opportunity to speak to Helen Bonick about the general concept of adolescent parent violence, how it's defined, what it can look like and how and who it can affect. We've also had the chance to speak with parents who've experienced adolescent parent violence. However, we haven't yet spoken in much detail about the effects on the young person who is causing the harm. Can you tell me about the research that you've done regarding child parent violence and what aspects of this concept your research focused on? Yeah, of course. Um, so the research I was involved in was an ESRC funded project called Investigating Adolescent Violence Towards Parents. And this was conducted at the University of Oxford between 2010 and 2013 by myself and Dr Rachel Condry. Um, so the focus of this research was on deliberate physical violence directed at mothers or fathers um, by their adolescent child and we looked at um, adolescents aged 13 to 19 years. Um, so at the time we conducted this research there was very little academic research on the issue in the UK um, although there was a lot of anecdotal evidence from practitioners working with parents in a support capacity um, for example people working in domestic violence support services um, or youth justice that actually they came across adolescent to parent violence almost routinely in their day-to-day -day work um, so despite some historic efforts to raise the profile of adolescence parent violence, it was still a really taboo topic at this time and it was under the radar of official statistics or conceptualisations of family violence. And it was also clear that when parents were disclosing adolescence parent violence to the police or to a support service, they were often not receiving a very supportive response. So sometimes parents were either not believed or not taken seriously, sometimes they were blamed or sent on a parenting course or encouraged um, to prosecute or criminalise their child um, against their wishes. So actually what most parents want is for the violence to stop and to access some help for, their, for themselves and for their child. So our project had a number of aims, not least to raise the profile of adolescent parent violence. Given that so little was known about this form of family violence, it was important for us to analyse data on the prevalence of adolescent parent violence in the police statistics and to explore the characteristics of families involved and the types of incidents reported to the police. So the first stage of our research involved um, analysing some police data from the Metropolitan Police. Uh, so we looked at cases over a one year period um, from April 2009 to March 2010. 
Uh, but we also wanted to conduct a really detailed exploration of adolescence parent violence to gain an understanding of how it was experienced, managed and negotiated by the parents and young people involved and how it was responded to by police and, and other criminal justice and support agencies who came into contact with it. So we conducted over 100 interviews with parents, young people, um, police officers and youth justice workers um, and practitioners working in relevant support services about their experiences of adolescence parent violence. And this gave us a really unique data set and gave us a really informed understanding of the problem and it led to the first Home Office guidance on responding to adolescence parent violence. Thanks Caroline. Can you tell me a little bit about your decision to include young people in your research? Yes, um, so including the adolescence perspective was really important to our research um, because the voices of young people who are violent towards their parents have to a great extent been lacking from existing research and literature. So in order to fully understand this complex issue, it's really essential to explore it from the parents' perspectives, but also to examine the pathways leading to adolescents being violent from their perspective. So it was really important to us to hear their accounts and to generate some knowledge about how they understand and explain and manage their behaviour and to identify what their needs are. Um, and this is really important in informing policy on policy and practice um, in how to respond to reports of adolescence parent violence. So as I said earlier, although some parents' uh, reports of this violence were not taken seriously, other parents we spoke to were encouraged to prosecute their child, which raises concerns surrounding the criminalisation of young people and is often the last route that parents want to go down. So a crucial aspect of our research was to learn about adolescence parent violence from the young person's perspective uh, and make some recommendations on how to develop sensitive and effective responses that don't necessarily involve the criminalisation of the young person. So responses that work for parents, but importantly, also meet the needs of the adolescents as well. Um, and what were the key findings from your research in relation to young people? Um, in total, we interviewed 20 young people who had been or were currently being violent towards one or both of their parents. Um, and we included step-parents and grandparents in that definition as well. Uh, and all of the young people we interviewed were, at the time, attending some kind of support service for their abusive behaviour. Um, Twelve of the young people that we interviewed were sons and eight were daughters. Mm -hmm. um, so incidentally, although police statistics show that adolescence parent violence is highly gendered, so our um, police data analysis showed that 87% of adolescents who were reported for adolescence parent violence were male, um, and that supports kind of similar data analyses that have been conducted in America. Um, actually, there appeared to be more of a gender balance in the adolescents accessing support services. Um, so it might be that parents are less likely to report their daughters to the police um, compared to reporting a son, so they might feel less frightened of a daughter, um, or they might feel that it's less socially acceptable um, to phone the police in response to violence from a daughter. Um, so there was more of a gender balance in, in the support service cases that we looked at. I'd say that our key findings from interviewing these young people who'd been violent towards their parents were firstly the sheer complexity of adolescence parent violence. So it was quite clear that there's no single cause of this behaviour, um, but that there are a number of potential pathways or triggers. And secondly, that many of the young people we interviewed were very vulnerable in some way. Um, and so this has really important implications in terms of how adolescent perpetrators, and I say that in inverted comments, uh, commas, are constructed. Um, so one of the significant differences between 
adolescence parent violence and intimate partner violence is that it's very difficult to ascertain blame or dichotomize parents and adolescents into victim and perpetrator roles. So often the lines between victim and perpetrator are very blurred in cases of adolescence parent violence and the adolescent perpetrators, again in inverted commas, are also victims, for example victims of violence in the home or sexual abuse or other adverse family circumstances. Additionally, we found that many of the young people were fully aware that their feelings and that their behaviour towards their parents was problematic and they wanted to stop or change their behaviour with the right help and support. So you touched on um, uh, pathways and triggers that lead young people to, to be violent towards their parents. Can you kind of explain a little bit more about what your thoughts are around those? Yeah, no problem. Um, our research showed that there are many different pathways leading to adolescents being violent towards their parents and that it can occur across all sectors of society. So some of the families we interviewed were very middle class and the parents were professionals. And in a few of the families, there were no obvious or clear reasons for the violence. And in these cases, the parents were at a complete loss as to why their child was being violent to them and said that there was no history of family problems. However, we did find that in the majority of families we spoke to, there were adverse circumstances affecting the family, including a history of parental conflict, um, things like parental separation and divorce. In many of the cases, a child had been removed from their parental care at some stage. Um, there, were, there was parental alcohol or drug misuse and often a long history of conflict between the adolescent and the parent going back quite a long way. Um, in some of the cases we looked at, the adolescents also have mental health problems such as anxiety or depression, a history of self-harm or of suicide attempts. In some of the cases, the adolescent had been diagnosed with ADHD, Asperger's or autism. And in some of the cases, the adolescent was using or misusing alcohol or drugs. There were also some cases where the young person had been bullied at school and had problems with friendships. And there were cases where the adolescent had been sexually abused by a family member, so either a parent, step-parent or a brother or an uncle. Um, so there were lots of different family kind of problems that, that young people talked about, but by far the most common pathway that was talked about by both parents and adolescents was a history of domestic violence in the family. And so in some cases, uh, the adolescent had been directly victimised by their parents. Um, and in all the cases we looked at, I think it was the father or the stepfather, um, sometimes very severely. And in many cases, the adolescent had witnessed extreme domestic violence and abuse between their parents. So I think the key point here is that with the exception of a few cases where there appeared to be no history of violence or other, other familial problems, the majority of young people we spoke to who were violent towards their parents had experienced or were experiencing difficulties in their family life. Mm. And, and in families where adolescent parent violence is happening, what have been the professional responses and how have the young people you've spoken to found these responses helpful or unhelpful or, you know, Okay, um, well all of the young people we spoke to and interviewed as part of our research were actually using a support service, so mm -hmm. it is biased to a certain extent. Um, so they were either um, involved with a broad kind of domestic violence support service or they were using um, a specialised child-to-parent violence support service if that was available. Um, and they were generally very positive about the support that they were now receiving, um, which mostly involved group work um, alongside some individual work and the support service also doing parallel work with their parents at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and similarly, most of the parents we interviewed were very positive about the support service they were currently 
um, receiving support from. However, the parents did give us numerous examples of really unhelpful or even harmful responses that they previously received before they'd come into contact with this support service. Um, so these kind of unhelpful or harmful responses involved quite often police not taking their reports of the violence seriously, um, perhaps making them feel blamed and responsible for the violence that they were receiving. Um, parents told us about uh, police forcing them to have their abusive child back in the home um, against their wishes, um, which of course would never happen if it was a, an adult um, partner or ex-partner perpetrating the violence. Um, Sometimes police who did take it seriously told the parents that their only course of action to, to access any kind of help was to prosecute their child, which is obviously the last thing that lots of parents want to happen. Um, and sometimes um, children who were returned from the police, if their parents didn't want to prosecute, felt further empowered because they hadn't been prosecuted. Um, and there were stories also of parents being effectively punished um, where they had prosecuted their children uh, by having to pay their children's court fines because parents are responsible for paying children's court fines. Um, and also parents being court ordered to attend parenting courses as a result of reporting the violence to the police. Um, so in other words, parents were often the ones who ended up being effectively punished for, for reporting the violence to the police. And this was then potentially dangerous as it further empowered their child. Uh, it was also recognised by the professionals we interviewed that parents who were being abused by their children were often completely burnt out. Um, they were way beyond the stage of being able to effectively put into practice the kind of advice they were given on parenting courses. Um, and, and actually the support required was much more intensive and sustained than a parenting course allows for. And lots of the parents kind of supported this by saying that the parenting courses were for people who had much lower level problems rather than being mm -hmm. at the stage of their child kind of controlling them or, or being violent towards them. So the parents said that they'd found it extremely difficult to access appropriate support for themselves and for their child. And this was often because it didn't exist or that it was oversubscribed. So there are a few dedicated support services for child to parent violence across the country, but they do exist in pockets. Um, they're not uh, standardized at all. Um, and where they do exist, they tend to be very quickly oversubscribed because there's such short supply. Um, so many of the parents we spoke to said that they tried a number of routes to access some kind of support for their family, including going through the school, um, going through social workers or through their GP even. All the parents who were now receiving this support were extremely relieved um, to have found an appropriate support service um, and that was one which took the violence seriously um, but also responded to it constructively and often without the involvement of the criminal justice system. And the adolescents we interviewed were also really positive about the support services that they were currently working with and said that it was really important to them to be listened to without judgment and that was a real key thing, this idea of not being judged. Um, so to feel that their issues were being taken seriously uh, and that they were being given useful tools to help them to stop being violent and abusive towards their parents. Um, so they said things like that whilst they were encouraged by the support service to take responsibility for their behaviour and to recognise the harm that they were causing, that they didn't feel that they were also being blamed or labelled as bad. Mm -hmm. um, but actually they were being supported in addressing those really complicated emotions underlying their behaviour um, and that they were being supported in developing a non-violent relationship with their parents. So taking all of this into consideration, what would you recommend as is an effective response to adolescent parent violence? Um, 
I suppose our interviews with adolescents, parents and all the, the practitioners we spoke to working with families experiencing adolescence parent violence were all quite similar, that they all pointed towards an effective response as one that takes adolescence parent violence as a serious but also as a really complex phenomenon um, and provides a holistic uh, response um, which is tailored to the needs of the particular family. Um, so this recognises that adolescence parent violence is a potentially serious form of domestic violence. It's not just um, you know children, adolescents kicking off or being kind of doing what teenagers do, but it, that it is a serious form of domestic violence. But also recognising that these families have multiple needs, um, including the parents and the adolescents' safeguarding needs. Um, so this kind of a response enables parents to receive the appropriate emergency assistance and safety planning that they might need through the police um, and it also um, enables uh, an effective criminal justice response where this is supported or where it is wanted by the parents and there certainly were some parents who did need that criminal justice intervention, they did want to prosecute their child because it was so serious they felt that that was the only way to move forward. Um, so in those cases involving severe violence where prosecution is the most appropriate response and in cases where the parent needs that emergency assistance or safety planning or sometimes just their child being safely removed from the scene temporarily, um, the, the police need to be well informed about adolescence parent violence and they need to be prepared to support the parents as required. However, an effective response also involves, um, needs to offer robust diversionary processes wherever possible that don't necessarily involve prosecuting the young person, especially if that's not what the parents want, um, but still lead to adequate support being provided to the family. Um, so referring to appropriate support services in the area and making sure that the parent feels safe in the home. So effective responses recognise the vulnerability of parents experiencing the violence from their child but also recognise the potential vulnerability of the child uh, and provide adequate safeguarding of their needs. So the support needs to be holistic, it needs to look at what's going to work for the whole family, um, it needs to be non-judgmental and it needs to work towards building positives rather than focusing on the negatives mm -hmm. um, and providing often long-term tailored and intensive support to parents and their children. Mm -hmm. That's great. Caroline, that's been so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing your time um, and for giving us some information about what is a very important and very complex issue. Thank you're, you. You're more than welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Safe Life Spotlight on young people and domestic abuse, please go to our website safelives.org.uk where we will be uploading new content every week, each exploring a different aspect of young people and domestic abuse. If you'd like to participate in the discussion, you can go to our website to sign up for the live webinar on March 3rd between 1 and 2pm and also join us in the live Twitter Q&A conversation on March 15th between 1 and 2pm. Just go to hashtag safeyounglives.